Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Karine Jean-Pierre, what to say about Karine Jean-Pierre? She is the uh, White House spokeshuman, as you know, uh, the quadruple threat. You know, she strikes me as probably before she got into politics, when she was a young woman, she was probably a very nice person. Oh, yeah. And maybe she still is, but... But she's still bad at her job. She's not getting any better, and how many months in is she? She's perfect at her job, actually. Really? She is a, a perfect example of what you're supposed to believe in contravention of what you actually see and hear. You're supposed to believe this is a competent professional. You're supposed to believe this is an intelligent, sophisticated person. And what you see is 180 degrees from that. It, it, it's sad that she chose to be this identitarian tool and uh, take a position that puts her in a, well, in a position where she can't be anything other than a risable figure because she just has no critical thinking skills. She is not quick on her feet. She doesn't understand any of the underlying issues. She's really put out there almost as an affront to the American people's collective intellect to say, We're going to send out a useful idiot who should be insulting to your intelligence, but for half the country, she's not. And the D.C. press corps will prop her up and take her seriously. So it's particularly pronounced with the description I'm providing, in my view, when you have a real problem where you can't just sort of offer the, the traditional platitudes about a particular policy issue you've got the president your boss the principal here mr 10 percent who's uh you know put himself in a bit of a sticky wicket so remember the press briefing yesterday took place before the news came down that biden aides had found another batch of classified documents at a different heretofore unreported location right so uh, you'll uh, enjoy this part of the Q&A. Has there been any kind of like audit that's been done of uh, where, where he may, where there may be others that he doesn't know about? I'm just not going to speak to this. I'm going to uh, let the process continue. It's an ongoing process. And so I'm just not going to, uh, to speak to this from here. It is more prudent and more appropriate for my colleagues at the White House Council. Uh-huh. 
Somebody told yeah. her if they say, "Are you doing some comprehensive <laughs> review?" Say, just refer to the to the, the uh, legal counsel's office. Just refer everything to the legal counsel's office because we got this guy, uh, the president, who has you know spent six years uh, trafficking in influence, uh, using, allowing his family members to traffic traffic in his influence, um, and make and millions of dollars. We. Yeah. we well, we don't know. I mean, you know, now that we found these documents over by there at his fake think tank at the University of Pennsylvania, God knows where this guy was putting documents. So don't go out on a limb and say, we think we've got all the documents that are relevant here to turn over to the National Archives, because who knows? And then a few hours later, you get this disclosure by Nades, find another batch of classified documents at a different location. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six D A turnkey dot pro text line. I mean, <laughs> here's the thing: this is the way a little scandal becomes a big scandal because she told P- Peter Ducey, you know, this this you know we're working on this. Um, well, here this is what she told him: Does it undercut the president's? Prom- Sorry, hold on. How could anyone be that irresponsible? Isn't that what this president says about mishandling classified documents? The president spoke to this personally. He spoke to this personally. He, again, he believes that uh, classified documents and information should be taken seriously. He takes them seriously. And he was surprised to learn by any any records. I disagree. I disagree. Here's what happened. Here's what happened once his... Justice Department? Well, let me, let me explain to you the process. Here's what happened when uh, his lawyers found out that the documents were there. They immediately turned them over uh, to their archives. But they were but there they immediately the took them, turned them they, over to the archives. The right I'm not going to go into specifics, but I'm going, I, what I am reiterating to you is what you heard from the president yourself. Peter, uh, which is how he saw the process and how he respects and truly uh, uh, respects and takes this very seriously, and when he knew uh, and how surprised he was by it, and the actions that, uh, the, the right actions that the lawyers took. I mean, there's so many questions. Why were the lawyers cleaning out his office anyway? He, you know, when he found out about this, did he just find out about it, or did he find out about it in November a week before the midterm elections. Because he's supposed to be transparent, uh, right? First, the you know, despite his behavior, he respects uh, and takes seriously classified information. Well, his behavior suggests otherwise. You could say the same thing about Trump. And I'm not saying he did anything illegal here yet. We don't know enough. Just like I'm reserving judgment until some additional questions are answered about Trump. But... At least Trump's stuff was in one location, though, that was secured. But the logic, the logic of her answer. So let's say there is an underlying criminal act. Her logic is tantamount to saying Joe Biden robs a bank. His lawyers find out that he has cash from a bank robbery. They take that cash and they give it back to the bank. And then Karine Jean-Pierre comes out and says Joe Biden respects banking. He respects the banking industry. <laughs> That's, That's a great analogy. It's just the, the quality of the thinking is so, so in your face and just nobody comments on it. That's what I just love. I love that you listen to an answer like that 
the, the assembled uh, White House press corps, most of the country, and you just, uh, 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 I mean, you, you probably tune out, you lose consciousness. I, I get it, but <laughs> I mean, listen to the quality of the arguments that are made, the explanations that are offered. She is so, so far over her skis and having to handle anything seriously. But uh, this is, you know, somebody who is uh, the uh, the hand of the throne when it comes to our federal government. What a commentary. And I'm not saying there haven't been other doofuses to, that have been White House spokesbeings. There's been a lot of them. There's just yeah, but so she's many, one of the worst ones There's just ever. so many doofuses. Right. So many people who don't have sort of basic skill sets in positions of incredible influence and power. And it's just striking to me. It's, it really is a cacistocracy. We are ruled by our lessers. And Karine Jean-Pierre is a case study in that. Now, something else, and not one of the questions that we've been asking since this information came out, was asked by Ed O'Keefe. Oh, my God, a reporter for CBS News actually asked a pertinent question. Record the date and time. Uh, the question? Yeah. The timing of the disclosure. The president was asked yesterday but did not answer this part of the question. Why didn't he or someone in the White House inform the American people when these documents were discovered on November 2nd? Did it have anything to do, because people are asking this part of it, did it have anything to do with the fact that the election was just a few days away? Again, Ed, this is under review by the Department of Justice. It is literally under review right That's now. As we are, as we, as I as I am talking to you, it is under review. So I'm not going to uh, get okay, beyond wow. the process. I'm not going to get beyond what the president said. Oh, I'm scared. The the process is not going right now. Just right stop. Now. Everybody freeze. The pro, there's a process going on. You can't tell me anything about the timing of the disclosure. It's a simple question. Uh, if you're honest, you have nothing to worry about with res- respect to the DOJ process, whatever that is, for Joe Biden. It certainly doesn't include raids, does it? Whatever that process is. The simple question is, you talk to counsel. Uh, how did they come upon these classified documents? W- why were they uh, looking in the Biden's fake think tank office? What were they looking for? They came upon the, the documents when. They turned them over when. And then why wasn't right there? Yeah. Why wasn't there? And then why wasn't there disclosure to the public that this had occurred in the interest of transparency, in the interest of being, you know, proactively uh, informative? Why did that not happen? That, that, that's yeah. not a, that's not a legal question. That's not a process question. That's a truth question. And she hides behind process. And the reason why she's hiding behind process is because it, the election was a week away. They couldn't let this get out. It's a White House cover up. And where's the special prosecutor? Where's Merrick Garland? What's going on? I know he's a, appointed John Lausch here from the Northern District to investigate this. But the, another, I mean, 16 documents and counting now, guys. I mean, what, what, what is this other location? And what are the other documents? Rob and Morris here on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, if they wanted to keep a lid on this, and there's no way we would even know right now unless they knew they weren't able to contain it and they had to get out in front of it. Otherwise, we'd never know about this or the new document. Thanks for the call, Rob. Uh, Roger, South Side. Uh, I was belly laughing, Dan, of the credit. Uh, you were giving these people, after you're done on radio, you need to go into comedy. Um, yeah, I really should. What, here we go once again, Lord of the Flies meets Animal Farm. Um <laughs> Well, no, there's a there's an idea for like an off Broadway play, actually. Mm-hmm. I kind of. Huh. Oh, 
I like to work yep. that out. Yeah. Um, this, uh, the girl who is the um, White House spokeswoman. I I can't say her name, and I won't. Uh, does anybody know where she gets her wigs? Oh, stop! Oh. No, don't don't, don't go wait, there. Wait a second. Come on. I'm going to be. I'm going Roger, to be I'm wearing a wig. Yes, Roger. Look it's at too Dan. close to home. So, so am I, but it's around the waist. But anyway, um, okay. yeah, they're just going to. Somebody should do drink specials this weekend. You know, what are the documents called? I, I mean, okay, this. They're eventually going to wind up giving this poor guy a vial of some poison. His dementia and I mean, come on. If anybody thinks that. Joe Biden has anything. And what about our friends like Susan Rice and Obama and all the rest of them? Like, oh, they, they didn't know about any, anything going on. Yeah, it's just, actually know, interesting. Hillary just erased hers. She had 30,000 emails. Just Thanks for the know. call, Roger. Yeah, actually, it's interesting, too. Susan Rice, the former NSA for Joe Obama, the first two terms, you know, functionary in the, in the first two terms. And in a special advisor to the president on national security issues, where, where is she? She doesn't want to get within a country mile of this. So you trot out Karine Jean-Pierre to be, you know, a human Punching target. Yeah. Uh, God, it's, it's good stuff. We'll have uh, more on this throughout the morning. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. You know, this show this, this show isn't for everybody. If you're not interested in the truth, if you're not interested in having a conversation on the merits, then don't listen to this show. On AM 560. Because there's no place for you here. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, mayor's race in full swing. And by the way, uh, we will be playing other hits from Jeff Beck. I'm glad Mike Scott uh, uh, memorialized Jeff Beck. And... Uh, uh, offered a sampling of his music, but uh, Jeff Beck, one of the great guitarists of the last 50 years, unheralded uh, in comparison to his contemporaries, as Mike mentioned, like Jimmy Page and Eric Clapton. Yeah, he and died Paul from Jones. bacterial meningitis. So anyway, you will be uh, having more Jeff Beck bumper music you can All morning uh, long. enjoy. Uh, the Chicago mayor's race in full swing. February 28th is the primary, a reminder. And uh, triple threat, speaking of diminutive identitarians who lack competence, as we were talking about KJP in the Biden White House. Oh, boy. We got a triple threat here. Her campaign sent an email out to Chicago Public School teachers on Wednesday asking them to encourage their students to volunteer to help Lightfoot in her mayoral campaign 
and earn class credit in so doing. Yeah, what she's so, asking for is 12 hours a week, Dan, to help Lightfoot's campaign. And they're looking for, you know, enthusiastic, curious, and hardworking young people eager to help the mayor win this spring. So it's an externship program. That's how the campaign termed it. Okay. Um, what's the problem? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. I I'm I'm getting I'm hearing a lot of moralizing from the Chicago press corps, which is always hilarious. The most uh, amoral, if not outright immoral, gaggle of of professionals, if you will, uh, of any sector in the city, I would argue. But they're moralizing about this. Uh, some ethical uh, lines were crossed, and so on and so forth. Uh, what's the problem? Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey pro answer line six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Well, first of all, there's a lot wrong here, but you cannot use public resources What's for public campaign purposes. What's the public resource? This, the, she, they, they sent out emails to cps.edu employees. Um, yeah, that's These not, are city worker. I mean, uh, well, we, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, how is that a public resource? Well, we, you can't campaign on company time. Um, CPS... Employees were not campaigning on company time. They, they were, received an email asking from a to recruit campaign. some students in your class who are eager, who are ready to go, and in exchange, asking the teachers to give them class credit. They received an email. Okay. So they weren't campaigning on public time. So if uh, they receive an unsolicited email from a campaign for a donation to their ed.edu email, is that a violation of? Uh, of some sort of ethical or campaign finance guidelines by the campaign? I don't think so. No. I'm not suggesting it's a good practice, but the uh, hue and cry over this as compared to, like, the real systemic kleptocracy that's all around us, it's just laughable. This is the thing. This is, you know, the equivalent of, of a tax revolt over the sugar tax. We have an ethics revolt over an email from a campaign to teachers uh, about an externship campaign. You can't recruit kids to work on campaigns? Of course you can. Is that the, is this the best way to do it? No, it is not. Is it uh, the uh, is it a threat to our <laughs> is it a threat to our feudalism because we don't have democracy in Chicago? Is it a threat to our feudalism? No, it is not. But these are minor kids. These are kids under eighteen that they're asking. You can't hey, a, a kid under eighteen can't volunteer in a campaign. No, they can, but to ask their oh, parents, okay. not the teachers. And also, she's sending emails, or her deputy campaign manager Megan Crane's her name was sending emails to the enemy. But of course, they handed these emails over to Heather Sharon from WTTW because they're all supporting Brandon Johnson, and As they're I acting said, all upset. I know they should be more upset. Yes, Dad, about the OIG report about grooming sexual touching, raping people, raping students, even some in their own bedroom. I don't know how that teacher got in that kid's bedroom, um, but they're not. They're, they're, they're making to as do I about said, this. As I said, and, you know, and the Wilmette talking to Winnetka folks notwithstanding, this is incompetence. That was my lead, incompetence. Incompetence in government, incompetence in politics. No surprise because – a triple threat is somebody who keeps her own counsel, and so she has sycophants around her. 
That's a bad practice. It's a bad practice when Trump does it. It's a bad practice when Lori Lightfoot does it. It's bad. No leader, no true leader is only interested in yes men and yes women. They're interested in talent. And triple threat is not interested in talent. I know from people who were around her and are no longer who are talented uh, that she is just she keeps her own counsel. She's always right. She doesn't want to hear cognitive dissonance. And if you give it to her, then you're quickly on the outs. So this is how you get incompetent governance and incompetent political campaigning. It's incompetent. This is not the scandal of the decade. It's not even a scandal at all. It's just incompetence. Well, also incompetent. Their first response, they gave three responses once they got busted or this was made public, excuse me. Um, Well, we're just trying to provide young people the opportunity to engage. Mm -hmm. Then the second one, Mm -hmm. then they contacted WTTW. Our second statement that they received said that the campaign would cease contact with CPS employees out of an abundance of caution. Mm -hmm. Then two hours later, they issued a third version of the statement saying that, you know, these available sources are off limits, period. Right. Yeah. That's incompetent. I agreed. (laughs) Yeah. Here's our here's uh, oh, I mean, uh-oh. this sounds like it's like, it's like sort of stream of consciousness. Lori Lightfoot says, well, just say this. All right. That's not working. Well, uh, say this. Uh, no, OK, let's just end this before it, be, you know, before it becomes snowballs. a little bit of a brush fire. And let's just apologize and say we won't do it again and move on. So that's why you get three statements in three hours. Incompetence. <laughs> These are incompetent people. I mean, I, it's it's striking. I mean, I hear from people. Uh, like at Mayor Brown, that she was a decent attorney. I mean, and I say decent. I mean, no big star, but decent. And, of course, let's just be honest, checks boxes. I mean, she had the background as attorney, and I'm not saying she wasn't qualified. Um, as I said, but partners at Mayor Brown, some of them that I know, said, yeah, she was competent. Um, she did fine, you know, fine workmanlike job. Um, but it also checks boxes for Mayor Brown, and that's obviously a big part of uh, the uh, perspective when it comes to being, well, being aligned with the identitarian mobs in Chicago. So, yeah, incompetence, but the, the hysterics. I mean, we'll talk to Roderick Sawyer about it a little bit later in the hour, and uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of piling on. But Well, they're eh. saying that she broke the city government's ethics ordinance. Which says what? Which I, which I don't even know what that is. Well, and that if, Lightfoot imposed, which took office in 2019. Uh, yeah, so okay. if there's something in there, I mean, I haven't, uh, you know, poured over the city of Chicago ethics ordinance, but I'm sure it's hysterical. Uh, I'm sure it would be a fun read. Uh, but Good beach but, read, yeah. So maybe there's something in there that says you can't, campaigns cannot contact uh, city employees with the, or, okay. or you know, public sector it. employees with their, via their public sector contact information or something like this yeah. line it's, but even if even if that's true this is this is so minor you know this is sort of a paper cut when limbs are being chopped off but says, okay yeah but, well, no, but, just employees and their sister agencies are prohibited from engaging in work on behalf of political campaigns while being paid with taxpayer funds yeah, but but so you get an email. I mean, here's here's if I was interested, I'm a CPS teacher and I'm interested in helping Lori Lightfoot. Right. So I get this email. Then after school is over, I contact the Lightfoot campaign. I'm interested in, in doing this. So let me talk to my principal and see about setting up an externship camp, uh, externship program where kids can volunteer for any of the candidates or any 
public any candidates for office and earn the same credit for doing the same work for different candidates in different offices. And then would this be anything? That that's nothing. That's not violative. So it was a ham-handed, incompetent way to do this, to do recruitment, because these are apparently she has incompetent operatives around them and not much adult oversight. What else is new? Um, but I mean, the 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 oh, my God, has the has the ethical standard of Chicago been diminished because of this? Has our reputation as a city been tarnished? I mean, political I mean, patronage has been going on at all levels of Illinois government. Remember when Dorothy Brown paid a dollar to my campaign? You can wear jeans on Friday. Exactly. And then there's Tom I mean, Zach who bust people that work for the Water Reclamation District to Will County uh, to I mean, go door to door. I mean, I mean, come on. The history runs deep here. We 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 average you know uh, right up near an alderman a, a year that going to prison for the last four decades. I mean, can you just stop? With all of this, it's just the the Chicago press corps. This is another example. You th- they think this is another example of them being a watchdog. You know what this is another example of? Their preternatural dishonesty. The the sacred cows that they protect, and Lori Lightfoot is no longer one of them. At least in some of the circles, not all, but some of the circles. <laughs> all of this. Uh, by the way. Oh, by the way, you can understand her confusion and her surprise by the reaction to some extent, since all the Chicago public school system is, and all most of these government school systems are, are mission fields to indoctrinate and train political activists to be political activists. Isn't that the highest order to become a political hack at an early age so you can be a community organizer? When you get out of uh, CPS or again, uh, you know, spin the dial and pick a suburban school district. These are totalitarian reeducation centers, these K through 12 systems. So you can understand. Well, wait a second. These we want all these kids to be politically active, which means we want all them to be apparatchiks for the Democrat socialists. So let's get them going. Isn't that the disposition of the culture? <laughs> right? No? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Ziff in Hyde Park. Ziff. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. I miss you, Ziff. Anybody? I'm on the playing field. Still on the playing okay. field. I ain't they going are. nowhere. Are you getting, escra- are you getting school credit for it? Well, I don't get any school credit, but guess who implemented that rule, Dan? Amy's guy, Paul Vallis, years ago, he implemented a rule for students to do 40 hours community service to get credit. Yeah, that's fine. So, Which is fine. And Lightfoot's so only Amy, asking for 12 hours. So. <laughs> uh, the bottom line is Lightfoot. If you're going to teach him to read or do math, they might as well get on a political campaign so maybe they can get one of those phony baloney no-show jobs in the water department. And what the hell? Right. Well, they'll be assured from to some after after high school. But exactly. Amy, your guy is is right there. Amy, keep fighting for Paul. Paul I is am. cutting into everybody's. He's cutting into everybody piece, and I tell him only thing he needs is a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and he'll be right where he's at. He's right. He's not, actually he's not chewy out of the box. Actually, from my numbers, what I'm seeing is is Lightfoot Wilson 
phallus right now. All right. Thanks for the call, Ziff. And Dan, also, you know, you said something yesterday that stuck with me about he says different things to different people on different radio shows. Yeah. He's not on WCPT anymore because he came on this show. And he doesn't say different things at all on that show. He he's focused on three things: crime, schools, school choice, which we like here at AM five sixty, and taxes. Well, I wasn't just limiting that to okay. public pronouncements. I was saying privately oh, he plays that right. game too. I know from private conversations, but uh, yeah. Well, uh, I again, trust him, and I I think he'll be a strong leader, and I think he will change the culture in Chicago. All right, Matt in Mount Greenwood, you're in Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. I think it'd be a great opportunity for these very well-educated young children to go out and get some fresh air and sunshine, you know, and volunteer 12 hours a week after they study so hard all afternoon, you know, after <laughs> class. Nothing could be better for these kids, really. And, they, you know, these are the safest streets in any big city in the, in the country, so Insane. why not? I see yeah. nothing wrong with it. Have yeah, a good right. Day. I've Thanks, got a great idea. They could take the CTA to other neighborhoods, too, because that's safe, too. Yeah, yeah you get yeah. credit if you survive that ride. Right. Andy and Hinsdale. So when uh, Amy said uh, that City Hall responded not once, not twice, but three times, it reminded me of that great song, Once, Twice, Three Times, Not a Lady. Because, you know, Lori is no lady. No. Uh, that's a man, baby. That is. She's got the biggest uh, schlong in the city. She's got you. Right? Yeah. Okay, one, one other thing. What do you think on of Jeff that? Beck. One other thing on Jeff Beck. You know, Backpage. Um, Clapton, all those guys, they were all trained as kids in classical music. So they understood the real foundations of musical composition. That's why all that music is so timeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very yeah. good point. Thanks for the call, Andy. Uh, Frank in Arlington Heights. You're watching Channel 11, WTTW Chicago. <laughs> That's pretty good. You're watching Channel 4. You're watching Channel 5, WMAQ-TV, Chicago. It's all the same. I think they, <laughs> it's 30. Do you know where your children are? <laughs> You're the, the James Earl Jones of Chicago media, uh, Frank. I yeah. guess I am. My kids think I get a royalty for that. I do it for them, and they think I – when I talk about royalties and fran- franchising, they, uh, I say, yeah, I get royalties to this thing. Yeah. Do voiceover work. Or yeah. class credit. Yeah. You get, you yeah, get, I, you get I, years I, added I to your been, pension. I'm inspired here by, by Lightfoot's uh, maneuver, you know, so – do all kinds of political work with the kids. Yeah, but would you ask your students who are my, would you ever ask them to do political work? And no, no, I mean, you know, there is a law that, you know, kids supposed to get credit for doing service credit or doing something like this. I forget exactly what it is, but, but no, I don't ask kids to do political, you know, there's no politics in the class. You know, that's not what it's supposed to be. You're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to play devil devil's advocate too. When kids, uh, you know, when you're discussing, um, issues and so forth. I mean, I'll play the liberal sometimes. You know, where where you know, you know what's what's the view on this? You know, here's here's somebody else's view. I mean, that's that's what that's, a good teacher's supposed to do. So, so Anna, that's so uh, anachronistic, Frank. I mean, you're just your your time has passed you by. Get with the program, will you? Thank yeah. You. Thanks, for, thanks for the call, Frank. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. 
this issue. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Stewart and Jeff Beck in uh, 1985, their cover of uh, Curtis Mayfield's classic, People Get Ready. So remembering Jeff Beck, one of the great guitarists of all time. And I thought uh, our friend Andy from Hinsdale made a good point uh, last hour about uh, Jimmy Page and Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck, the great guitarists that uh, were classically trained. Yep. Um, And uh, this is what separated them from their peers. So anyway, uh... Yeah, and I also love that Jeff Beck sort of went through different phases in his career, too, um, from his time at the Yardbirds, with sort of fusion in the 70s, uh, blues influences there, like Clapton. So anyway, I digress. I'm not a correspondent for Rolling Stone, but, uh, you know, appreciator <laughs> of, uh, of great yeah, art, and yes Jeff Beck are. was a great artist. Guitarist, guitarist. Um, there's uh, an important new institute that has uh, been rolled out, the Kaufman Institute, that uh, will uh, address uh, maladies like myocarditis without asking any uncomfortable questions. They've got an ad. I think you should hear it. Perfect timing. Are you or a loved one suffering from a medical coincidence? You want proper medical care, but you don't want people sniffing around asking a whole bunch of questions about what might be causing your problem. At the Kaufman Institute for Coincidence, we won't look into the cause of your heart or other problem. We'll just fix it. That's right. We promise to only look at your symptoms. We won't get all curious looking for causes because that could get your employer or your doctor into some legal hot water. And nobody wants that. At Kaufman, we understand that coincidence is now the leading cause of death. Hey, we've got another coincidence over here. If we want to operate at the speed of science, there's no time for looking for causes. No pesky questions about drugs or vaccines you may have been given. At Kaufman, we specialize in the effects and leave the causes to the conspiracy theorists. And let's be honest, we know the cause anyway. It was a coincidence, right? For each new patient, 
Kaufman's talented team of doctors strap on their blinders and look directly at the problem area, usually the heart, just like the CDC recommends. Our main campus now treats myocarditis, blood clots, heart arrhythmia, stroke, heart attack, magnetic skin, difficulty breathing, full body blisters and burning, convulsions, kidney failure, memory loss, cancer, sudden death, and much, much more. Give your coincidence the attention it deserves, but not the wrong kind of attention. At Kaufman, schedule your appointment today at KaufmanCoincidence.com and receive a doctor's note with a real sciency sounding explanation to provide to your anti-vax friends, proving to them it was definitely not the vaccine that caused your coincidence. Kaufman, because coincidences happen pretty much all the time. Uh-huh. I mean, you have to parody this response that we're getting to uh, the incidence of sudden death. And again, not presuming to know every case is has a specific set of facts. And but it's the lack of curiosity. Everything's just a coincidence. We're not going to look at causes because we don't want to implicate anything that could be uncomfortable for anyone, particularly certain anyone's like in the pharmaceutical industry or in the federal government or your state and local governments for that matter. We, we the, I, I, there's, we've tried intermittently over the last three years. We haven't tried. We've done it intermittently over the last three years to raise this issue of adverse outcome, the VAERS system that the CDC operates, the uh, when there have been studies suggesting the heightened risk for myocarditis, particularly young men, we've brought that information to you for consideration. And those elite athletes who are just dropping dead, not just in America, all around the world, that would right. have been vaccinated. And, and again, that is not causation. The question is, why won't we look at causation? And, and 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 make and and uh, examine if there are connections, even if it's not causal, if it's correlative, if there are heightened risks, because everything is about heightened risks. Everything is about trying to make an assessment based on comparing and contrasting risks. And every person has a different risk profile because they have different, you know, physiognomy and biology. So. But the, the the point here is not to make conclusions that are without foundation. It's to ask questions so you can get as much information as possible so people can make informed choices for themselves and for their kids. That's always been the position. And as the Kauffman Institute properly uh, says facetiously, you know, that sort of inquisitiveness is just conspiracy theorizing and it's nothing of the sort. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. You can also reach us on our text line. It's always open. Six four six three six typing D A then a quick comment. Yesterday, um the DOD rescinded the vaccine mandate for the enlisted. On Monday, and I'm I again, I am not presuming to know, but I'm reporting an, an unusual occurrence. Okay. Air Force Academy cadet third class Hunter Brown, who's an offensive lineman for the Air Force Academy's football team, on his way to his class from his dorm, 
he collapsed and attempts to revive him were unsuccessful. 21-year-old sophomore. Now 6'1", 285. Big dude. Um, don't know his vaccination status. Presume, since he's at one of the service academies, that he's vaccinated. Yeah, don't just... know. I'm not making a connection. I don't know. Well, they had to get vaccinated. I, I, I know that. I don't know the cause of right, okay. his death. And I'm not presuming to know. Excess deaths in 2022 among the worst in 50 years. Can't ignore that anymore, can you? Well, I don't know. Maybe you can. Uh, concurrent with the DOD rescinding the COVID vax mandate on the enlisted, the Biden administration extended the public health emergency. Biden administration and uh, our governor, uh, Spalding, continue to be perfectly aligned. Mm-hmm. They declare the pandemic over, but the public health emergency persists. Because there's always some new variant that might be right around the corner. And this one is XBB something. Jimmy Fallon sang about it, and I vomited. Square the circle. Square the circle for me. COVID is over. The public health emergency persists. So uh, are we going to be in a public health emergency then in perpetuity? Why don't you just say that? If If you had your druthers. Public health emergency is the new status quo for America because of the cash that we've tied to the designation of public health emergency. They dropped the vaccine mandates at University of Illinois and weekly testing for students, finally. That happened last week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yet we're still under emergency order. So when then there's a real emergency, Dan, is anybody going to trust them or believe them? Because I, I always get a flu shot every year. Didn't get a flu shot this year. I had the flu so horribly. It was a 10 times worse than getting COVID the year before. Um, and I didn't do it because I'm just so sick of them cramming vaccines down our throat. We'll come to your house. Each person in your house will get a $50 Visa gift card. Family of four, $200. We'll send you to Great America. I mean, they just threw all this stuff at us to get vaccinated. Sick. Like This marketing from a health department is is just gone too far. And again, the silencing of not even critics of other public health professionals, other epidemiologists, academic or practicing, other infectious disease experts who did not comport with the status quo. And our friend Alex Berenson uh, and, uh, and a couple of other outlets have picked up the story of Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Scott Gottlieb was uh, Trump's FDA director for a time, as you may remember, and he became omnipresent on the Sunday talkies, particularly Face the Nation, as uh, one of the go-to infectious disease experts. He's also on the board of Pfizer. He's a director there. He gets paid like three hundred fifty grand to be a director on the board of Pfizer. Okay. And that's fine, and it was disclosed— Except when we find out that Dr. Scott Gottlieb was, again, acting uh, as a conduit between pharma and social media to silence people who disagreed with his position, Pfizer's position, the combination of the two. I don't know. He became he went from being a uh, reasonable, thoughtful guy as Trump's FDA director to a bit of a corporate shill, he tried to silence Dr. Brett 
Garar, remember him, part of the COVID task force under Trump, um, he and, and Garar is a, a doctor, medical doctor. He actually followed Gottlieb briefly as the head of the FDA. Uh, but uh, as Berenson details in his Substack, uh, Garar, uh, who suggested there um, was some differentiation between those who needed to get vaxxed and those who didn't, like, for example, those who had gotten COVID and recovered and thus had natural immunity. Um, and Gottlieb tried to get Garar silenced on Twitter. Uh, Air, uh, Berenson writes, by suggesting some people might not need COVID vaccinations, the tweet by Garar could raise questions about the shots. Besides being a former FDA commissioner, CNBC contributor, and a prominent voice on COVID public policy, Gottlieb was a senior board member at Pfizer. Half of the sales, half of uh, its $81 billion in sales in 2021, Pfizer, COVID vaxes. Big number. Nope. It's uh -huh. big money. So uh, Gottlieb emailed a top lobbyist in Twitter's Washington office, who is Twitter's, also Twitter's point of contact with the White House, and said the post by Garar was corrosive. He worried it would, that's a quote, he worried it would end up going viral and driving news coverage, quote, unquote. This is part of the Twitter files that have been released, and this is why Elon Musk has done the country an invaluable service by making all these files public. There's what you think you know, what you suspect could be going on. You see some of it that uh, was able to make its way into the light of day despite the censorious efforts of the White House and corporate America, but nothing like we know now because of Elon Musk's publication of all of this information. And um, he tried to silence Gottlieb. He tried to silence Alex Berenson as well. And Alex Berenson, ultimately, as we know, was knocked off of Twitter, only reestablished uh, re under Elon Musk. Glenn in Oakbrook, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, good morning. Uh, Dan, the public health uh, emergency, which will last through perpetuity, is due to our government officials, both uh, local and federal, having a level of incompetence that's unseen ever before. Thanks for the call, Glenn. Um, you know, it's. I wonder. I wonder if it's a level of incompetence uh, never seen before, or it's just so much power that you the the level of incompetence is felt more. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. When you have a a you know modest amount of power, your incompetence or your mistakes hurt fewer people than when you're the same person and you have vast, almost unlimited money and power. And so here again, you want to take the money out of politics. You want to restore competence to government. One way to do it, the only way to do it, reduce the size and scope of government, reduce the reach so people are not straying outside of their lanes so there are is true accountability so the impact is less when they inevitably make mistakes right uh, eliminate this bias we have this 
fallacy that uh, private vice becomes public virtue, to borrow from Ambrose Bierce. You know, that jerk off next to you is all of a sudden you're better when he becomes a congressman. No, he is not. But you have to be in the business of vastly, vastly reducing the size and scope of government to even, and we can argue about this, I'm happy to have the argument with libertarians in some sort of symposium, but not here, to, to what you know have sort of been traditionally considered public goods. You want to have that, that conversation about system change, then you're having a conversation that's on point. You want to talk about you know, modest cuts on the margins of the alphabet soup of federal, state, local agencies. So many of them are redundant, federal EPA, state EPA, local environment. If you're not talking about that, then you're not serious about minimizing the impact of corruption and incompetence in government. You just have too few people with too much power. It has not diffused the way that our founders envisioned it in this federalist system. Uh, Eric in Rolling Meadows. Hey, good morning, guys. Just it's amazing. It's a bizarre world that there's more hate towards questioning the vaccine than where the COVID actually came from. It's it's bizarre world, cloud world, isn't it? It is. Um, there are people that have made their bones and made their bed on being, you know, unquestionably COVIDian. I mean, it's, it is cult-like, like the new Marxist uh, allegiance to identitarianism. It is cult-like. This is their religion in part. It's an expression of their religious beliefs. And so to challenge it is heretical, and that's how you get treated as a heretic. That's what you have to understand. Paul and Marengo. And just like that, HIPAA is back on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul. Uh, Mike and Union. Yeah, it's funny. Where, where's the big uh, slogan, science, science, science? We must follow the science. I haven't heard that anymore. And, and now when I do hear the word science, it's, it's a joke. It, it, it should have the money symbol as the first letter uh, when it comes to science. Um, what a joke. Thanks, Thanks. fellas. Thanks for the call, Mike. Uh, David Winnetka. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, three parts to this call. Uh, uh, so I was talking with my buddy the other day. He's just very innocent and, and no agenda. He doesn't understand anything that's going on in the world. It drives me nuts. But I was explaining that they have this thing called SAD, you know, a sudden adult death syndrome. And uh, he goes, well, well that's, that's, cra- that's just as crazy as spontaneous combustion. Well, I, you know, why don't they call it that? Um, the second part, uh, a couple of days ago, when I was listening, um, uh, Amy had mentioned the uh, the first dance that uh, Kelly Belly and his wife had at that gala event. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, looks like we made it. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you asked Dan, Dan, you said the, the first, guess what the first song was that they danced to? And without thought, Dan just automatically rifles up, eat it. I was <laughs> yeah. driving. I was laughing so hard. I, I mean, you almost inadvertently got me in a car accident, but it was awesome. Um, and the third part, I've got a gal for you. I've got a gal. How, oh. how do I get you guys? Can, oh, do can, tell, you know. do tell. Speak slowly. Yes. She, yeah, I'll tell you, you must what. Must not she like is, this person. Yeah. No, she is. She is edgy like you. She's super intelligent. She's a Lake Forest gal, but she's not Lake Forest-ish, if you know what I mean. And uh, beautiful oh, really? girl, Swedish. Yeah. yeah she's yeah, Swedish. Yeah. Oh, that's like, a must. You know, give me a range of her net worth. I'm looking to cash out. <laughs> 
Yeah, kidding. yeah, she's out of money to do this. Yeah, I'm she's, kidding. She's, um, I'm kidding. But, but how do I get you guys in touch? What should I give? Oh, this is fantastic. Sure? Yeah. You know okay. what? Well, hold All on right. the line, and easy. then I'll uh, get your email. and we can... Hey, yeah. well, I can be a Yenta. Yeah. Not me. David and I can work together. <laughs> a Yenta. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, if, if I could just close getting back to this matter at hand. Um, something else, too, that uh, uh, will be ignored except perhaps by the Kauffman Institute. Although, no, they're in the business of ignoring. They're 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 uh, codifying the public health zeitgeist. Harvard Me- Harvard Medical Research, yeah, a study published in the American Heart Association's journal. The spike antigen itself, the mRNA vax spike protein, may contribute to myocarditis in some adolescents and young adults. Wow, that was Harvard Medical Research. Yeah, pro- probably a bunch of Trump voters, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Harvard Medical Research in the American Heart Association Journal. The spike antigen itself, which is the mRNA vax spike protein, may contribute to myocarditis in some adolescents and young adults. Doesn't mean that that kid from Air Force who tragically died, doesn't mean that that this is a case for that. I don't know. But um, I go back, and this is what I suggest you challenge your COVIDian cultists. Do you want to understand best as we can, the relative risks? Simple question. If you don't, that's fine. If you're just going to sort of walk blindly off a cliff, that's your approach to things, fine. But I think most people don't want to do that. Okay. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Hear about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy from Woodstock to Wilsonville. An iron curtain has descended across the state of Illinois. Not exactly, but uh, per the passage of the uh, latest gun ban from the gun banning Democrat socialists, you've had some county sheriffs respond. Uh, They're uh, clearly talking to one another, and that's a fine thing. Uh, In Macoupin County, it's down in southern Illinois by St. Louis, Sean Cal is the Macoupin County Sheriff. He writes in this uh, release to the public, As your sheriff, I wanted to give citizens of Macoupin County an update on the recent passage of HB 5471, also known as the Protect Illinois Communities Act. As your duly elected sheriff, my job and my office are sworn, in fact, to protect the citizens of Macoupin County. This is a job and responsibility I take with the utmost seriousness. Part of my duties that I accepted upon being sworn into office was to protect the rights provided to all of us in the Constitution. One of those enumerated rights is the right of the people to keep and bear arms provided under the Second Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms for the defense of life, liberty, and property is regarded as an inalienable right by the people. I, among many others, believe that HB 5471 is a clear violation of the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution. Therefore, as the custodian of the jail and chief law enforcement official for Macoupin County. Neither myself nor my office will be checking to ensure that lawful gun owners register their weapons with the state, nor will we be arresting or housing law-abiding individuals that have been arrested solely with non-compliance of this act. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. If the left can flout federal immigration law, can the right not flout state law that 
arguably, and I think persuasively, infringes upon Illinois residents' individual Second Amendment rights. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, DA, turnkey.pro, text line. Do you agree with sheriffs like Sean Kell in uh, Macoupin County? Also, same letter uh, put out yesterday by Sheriff Rob Tatelman in McHenry County. So from McHenry County all the way down to Macoupin County, You've got a sheriff saying we're not going to enforce this law that Governor Spaulding signed the other day. And it's already, you know, he made a law with the stroke of that pen. And if you own one of these banned firearms, are you going to register your firearm with the state in 300 days? Because we know Darren Bailey, who is on the Senate floor, uh, he's not doing it. Friends, you've got to know that uh, the actions that you're taking right now are tyrannous as uh, my colleague Senator Bryant suggested. You also must know that uh, I and millions of other gun owners in this state will not comply. (laughs) And then Don Harmon responded, well, that I will see you in court. And he said, yes, you will. Well, no, he won't, actually. Um, But... uh... I mean, they want you to, what's going to happen to it then if you, if you don't sign or, you know, if you don't register your weapon in 300 days, what are they going to do? Anybody address that aspect of this? You know, again, this is uh, so much press release politics. Uh, The idea that you have uh, the inclination or the manpower to be going door to door uh, to every FOID card holder in Illinois asking if they have one of the weapons listed on the ban list and then seizing it and or arresting them. That's not going to happen, but that's not the point. The point is, I mean, but, but, but there is, I mean, there is a, a point about which people could be arrested under this. I mean, you're pulled over, there's a search of a car, nothing wrong except you have one of these prohibited weapons and you're, and they're not registered, and then, then you are charged. So, I mean, there, there'll likely be cases uh, that occur, but the larger question is, Do you want sheriffs making these decisions any more than you want politicians? And I guess these are elected sheriffs, so they're politicians in part two. Any more than you want politicians like Lightfoot, Preckwinkle, Pritzker making decisions about federal immigration law. That's my question. We can argue the constitutionality of the statute, and I think there is going to be litigation that challenges it, so it'll wind its way through the courts. And I'm glad there will be, and we'll support that. I'll support that. But um, but the, the immediate question is, does one sanctuary designation deserve another? I mean, honestly, I don't know what's going to change. I mean, they really think mass shootings are going to stop. I mean, nobody wants mass shootings. We understand that. But it's not going to stop. And nothing addressed in this bill, mental health issues. I, I understand. Point, yeah. it's, it, of course, it is going to be ineffectual. It will do nothing. The federal assault weapon ban, this ban will do zero, zero to curb the incidence of violent crime in Chicago and elsewhere. Uh, particularly against the coming spike if the state Supreme Court does not declare. Pritzker's purge law unconstitutional, which is a pending matter. But of course it will do nothing. But the question is, do you want this to be the approach? Uh, Politicians deciding what laws they will and will not enforce.
Frank and Lamont. Hey, guys. Good morning. You know, it, it's look at uh, Kim Fox. State law said a retail theft over $150 was a felony, right? She mm. came in and said, nope, not going to prosecute it. Got to be over $1,000. Completely violating Illinois law. And she went and got reelected, didn't she? And mm-hmm. now these fools go and come up with this. Jane Byrne did this in the early 80s. Only cops and security guards could have firearms in the city, and everybody had to register them. How's that working, Chicago? That's been over 40 years. Well, we had a 25-year yeah. gun ban in Chicago, and we had the highest homicide yeah. rate. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for How the did call, that Frank. work? What? It's it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Bad it people doesn't, don't follow the laws. It actually has the opposite effect, right? It it uh, disarms some of the law-abiding who would otherwise protect themselves, and makes them more vulnerable to predators. So no, it makes people less safe. But that's not the question. The question that, that people don't want to deal with because it's just easier to deal with whether something is effective or not is the rule of law question. We have, This is why we have courts. When the legislature, the executive overreach, you have courts to adjudicate such an overreach. And this is how we now have Supreme Court jurisprudence that enshrines the Second Amendment as an individual right, thanks to people like Otis McDonald from Chicago. But is this how you want it to be done? Because the process does matter, right? Ends and means, means and ends. Do you want the ends to justify the means? I would argue you don't. And I would argue, even though I share the opinion of these county sheriffs that are saying they're not going to enforce it, that this is not the way to do it. This is not the way to do it. Chuck in Delavan, Wisconsin. Hey, uh, where I duck on down in Hennepin, uh, he posted the same thing. Uh, the mm-hmm. county sheriff down there—it wasn't worded I, I, exactly like that. But, I'm pr- uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure you're you know there won't be a county sheriff south of I-80 that is going to enforce not, yeah. this. Yeah, I I uh, but I mean he he had it up and he put the letter out immediately. Uh, so anyway, I just wanted to tell you it was him too. So thank you very much. Thanks for the call, Chuck. I got a text from uh, 847. Refusing to enforce a law because it is unconstitutional is different than not enforcing a law you don't like. Well, sort of. Who gets to determine whether it's constitutional? That's uh, the McCoupin County Sheriff or the McHenry County Sheriff. And again, I'm not criticizing these guys. I'm just using it as an example because they're among those that put out statements. Any sheriff. Do you want a county sheriff to be able to say, oh, I think this is constitutional and I think this is not? Is that within his power? No, it's not. Do you want Lori Lightfoot or Tony Preckwinkle to say, I declare that we're not going to recognize federal immigration law and those thus are we're not going to uh, comply with federal immigration diktats or right. federal law enforcement that's uh, in the area of immigration law. No, you don't. But that's what's happening. That's what ha- I mean, happening happened and continues to happen. My point is to say that you do not want the rule of men and women 
unilateral decisions made by elected officials uh, other than within their power. Because then it's just the rule of men, not the rule of law. And that's a society that descends into chaos. So you want to see what uh, the rule of men looks like, you look at big cities like Chicago. You want to scale that? You want to use that as the paradigm? George, Will County. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Actually, this, you just you just made my point. What the sheriffs are doing right now is within the law, within their sworn duty as law enforcement officers to uphold the U.S. and in this state, the state constitution. Just because they create a law that is immoral or unjust doesn't mean that they have to enforce it. it the immigration laws that they're doing at the federal level or, you know, uh, Prep Wrinkle or whether you're talking about Lori Lightfoot, they're, they have not done what it takes in order to change that. Illinois has fought this several times. You mentioned McDonald's. There have been three other cases prior, and, and there will be several after this. How many times do you have to go into court, especially in this state, which you know it will end up going all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court again? How many times do we have to go through that process, that same process that you're, you're, you're pushing, before you say enough is enough? I don't think it's society you know, devolving into chaos. The chaos is already here. This is the defense against the chaos to well, bring peace and then, order then, back. Then, then why do we have a judicial branch? In Illinois, we have it because it's political. That's it. Well, I mean, but but okay. I mean, I hear what you're saying, George. I I get the problem when you have uh, a government that is one-sided and behaves in an arbitrary and capricious manner because they're completely politicized. They're not interested in the rule of law. My question is: Is this the response to that sort of arbitrariness and capriciousness, or does that just further disintegrate the rule of law. Um, you know, I mean, and do you want to establish contrast between people who do believe in the rule of law and uh, co-equal branches of government and constitutional processes in addition to constitutional rights, or do you just want to play tit for tat? I mean, I think there is some reflection over the notion that we could be them, they couldn't be us, and we should guard that difference jealously. I think it's too easy to say, you did this, so we're going to do it too. We didn't like when you did it, and you're not going to like when we did it. And then it's just a question of might makes right. Whoever has the most political power gets to impose their will, irrespective of the law. Now, um, the Safety Act people are going to enforce that were judges and prosecutors going to enforce that if the Kankakee circuit court judge had not declared at least the pretrial detention piece of it unconstitutional i'm not going to enforce it we're not going to enforce it here in pick a county any county so our judges are going to still mandate bail for crimes that are uh that under the the 1.0 version you cannot ascribe bail Right. We don't like it. We think it's unconstitutional. I don't like it. I don't think it's I think it's unconstitutional. So I so decree. 
I don't think you want to go down that road. I mean, we're already down that road, right. but I don't think you want to further our our uh, travel in that direction. Isabel in Naperville. Hi, Isabel. Isabel, are you there? Isabel. Hello, hello. Oh. There she is. Oh, hello? I thought she was there. Hello? Is this on? Hello. Right, we'll try her again. Okay. Ron, south side. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, I agree with you 100%. I don't want sheriffs or elected officials arbitrarily choosing what laws that they are going to enforce. Now, my other thing is they're not going to enforce it anyway. I understand. You, you name Tom Darden add this to his plate. That, well, that's, and see, Ron, that's sort of my point. Is like you can make resource allocation decisions. What's our priority in our community? That's certainly within the purview of a sheriff. You can also, if you're a sheriff, you can challenge this law on constitutional grounds, be part of litigation in that direction. The declaration that you're not going to enforce it because you've determined it's unconstitutional, even though I agree with you, it's not Absolutely. within your power to make such a declaration uh, with respect to your duties. I'm sworn to uphold the Constitution. I understand, but you don't get to interpret the Constitution and apply that interpretation in contravention of laws that are duly passed by a legislature and signed by a governor. That's outside of your bounds. You, 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 you're heading to a total chaos. But you know what I would like them to do? There are so many uh, laws that are on the books that are constitutional. You know, I used to take the red line to work and stuff. And uh, last time I looked, selling drugs and smoking cigarettes and things. See, so that's the thing. You know, just coming up with these different laws that they're not going to enforce. Start enforcing some of the law that are constitutional. At least it'll help some of this chaos out here. But I agree with you 100%, Dan. You all have a great day. Thanks for the call, Ron. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. riffing and Rod Stewart's voice for such nice compliments. Uh, that's Rod Stewart and Jeff Beck. I ain't superstitious. Remembering uh, the great guitarist Jeff Beck this morning and his artistry after he passed away yesterday. I uh, wanted to make a couple of postscript remarks about our interesting discussion on the uh, state gun ban passed by the Democrat Socialist signed by Governor Jelly Belly. Um, yeah, I get, get tests, texts like... Um, uh, you know, when people get fed up, uh, then this is what happens. Uh, you know, they're, they're tired of being pushed around. This is reality versus theory. Well, I understand the reality. I was describing where it leads. 
if you adopt the left's view that the ends justify the means. And uh, in reality, there's a process to express disagreement. And the, by the way, um, sheriffs are not the only elected officials that are sworn to uphold the state and federal right. constitution. And many elected officials who make, who take those oaths of office do not. And this is why you have checks and balances, including on sheriffs. Um, so here's the thing. This is the state that we collectively chose. Mm-hmm. And so you don't like the Democrat socialist dominance of this state. You don't like living in a something that approximates a banana republic in terms of the model of governance, the feudal system in Chicago. You don't like the suburbs being taken over by Chardonnay Antifa types. Well, then do something about it because this is the choices we're making. And I am specifically here talking about those who uh, understand what's at stake and still don't participate and provide all sorts of rationalizations and excuses. The Republican Party is awful, stipulated, and so I'm not participating. Well, you don't participate uh, like, for example, 330,000 Trump voters in 16 and in 20 who didn't show up in 2018 and many of them who didn't show up again in 2020 per the turnout, particularly south of I-80, the light turnout south of I-80, where all these sheriffs are revolting and, and, you know, other conservatives like in McHenry County. And again, I agree with their position, but not their process. And for those that are fed up, why don't you behave like you're fed up constructively, of course, through the processes that are available? And Governor Pritzker saying this morning to police officers and sheriff's deputies, they will do their job or they won't be in their job. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, first, whatever, whatever. that's the typical bloviation. But um, the the people who are saying uh, it's fine if the sheriffs declare this thing unconstitutional. Again, they've made enforcement an issue by putting themselves forward as arbiters of what's constitutional. If they had done nothing, said nothing, and just said, well, the, okay. enforcing this gun ban is not the highest, best use of my limited resources with my officers, fine. There'd be no issue. They made it an issue by sending out press releases saying, I so decree this unconstitutional. Again, even though I agree with them, that's why you uh, file suit and you challenge this in a court of law, just as we have done and prosecutors have done with the Safety Act. By the way, for those people who are rallying for these sheriffs, what do you say to Ron DeSantis in Florida when he fired that prosecutor who wouldn't enforce Florida law? And, and by the way, in Florida, the governor has the power to do that, state power to do that. What do you say? Was Ron DeSantis wrong? No, he was not. He has the power. The prosecutor said he's not going to enforce certain laws that were duly passed by the state legislature and the governor and signed by the governor of Florida. And so you don't want to enforce the law. Then we're going to find somebody who does. Yeah, there, there is an importance of being intellectually consistent when it comes to something as important as the rule of law, substantive as well as procedural due process. The checks and balances we have just because you have politicians that have been elected in Illinois who don't believe in checks and balances, who don't respect uh, either our state or our federal constitution and as they've 
proved in so many instances, including most recently with Pritzker's purge law, doesn't mean that we should follow suit. That we're just all going over the edge together. I don't want to go over the edge. Okay. All right, moving on, uh, before we get to our friend, uh, Congressman Brian Stile. Uh, yesterday, they trotted out uh, a ill-equipped KJP, who the White House spokeshuman, who is just uh, completely helpless. So I hate piling on. I don't hate it that much, though. Not enough to do, not, not do it. And uh, this was her response to the question of whether Joe Biden can be trusted with classified information. How can President Biden be trusted moving forward with America's secrets? Because his lawyers, his team did the right thing. But he had a closet with he, classified his information. His lawyers in did it the right. Again, again, again. Did he did. He was right surprised that the records were there. He spoke to this personally. He was surprised that the that the records were there, and when his lawyers found out and his team found out that they were there, uh, they turned it over to their archives. That makes everything all right. Yeah, <laughs> it's, actually, it's, it's okay. It's actually, so he doesn't even make yeah. any sense. So, so his lawyers did the right thing, but he did the wrong thing. Is that what you're saying? That's what she's saying. He's surprised by documents. So he had no uh, involvement in selecting what documents would be taken and where they would be stored. No, he had didn't know anything about that. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. Jonathan Turley, a law professor from George Washington, you on Biden's statement yesterday that KJP was trying to reimagine. He said, you know, the lawyers told me not to ask what the documents were. Well, I can understand a lawyer saying don't say anything because there's a potential criminal investigation. But there are two steps to this investigation. One is to secure the documents, which has occurred. And the second is to determine if there was any breach of security. For that, you need to know who saw the documents. Mm -hmm. And the chief witness is the president. You have Mm -hmm. to ask him, here are the documents in the box. Do you remember asking for these, working off these, showing these? Um, The president just said I was brief, but told not to ask what the documents are. Right. And then the collective Biden White House just hides behind process. Uh, We can't say anything, can't answer any questions with any sort of uh, detail because there's a process. There's a process. Merrick Garland has launched a process. And so everybody has to shut up, even on things that are not uh, really legal questions. For more on this and other matters, please be joined by Wisconsin Congressman Brian Stile right uh, over the uh, cheddar curtain there in kenosha brian thanks for joining us appreciate it thanks for having me on so um your reaction to what we've heard from biden on tuesday and kjp yesterday as opposed uh, uh, about these uh, classified documents after a second trove of classified documents was found by somebody somewhere and we don't know much about that either yeah, this is the continued hypocrisy and double standard of the Biden administration. Um, it's finally, the good news is, there's going to be a check on the Biden administration now that Republicans have taken the gavel away from Nancy Pelosi. So we can actually be forcing this administration to answer the tough questions. And one of those should be, why did they know about this days before the election, but of course bury that and hide that from the American people until after the election? That sure looks like political purposes that they're doing that for. Well, we wouldn't have even known about this at all, about the documents that were locked in his closet at the Penn, you know, Biden think tank center. Unless a reporter on Monday went up and, and was, you know, the information was leaked to them about this. And that's how we found out about it. They would, they would have never have come forward and been transparent 
like he said he was going to be unless that happened. And now you have the second document dump. Do we know any more information about where these documents came from and who, who had them and what office? I think you're going to get a lot of answers going forward. But this is what the Biden administration has been doing for over two years. They've been doing all sorts of stuff in the mainstream media. The legacy media has been giving them a pass. And Nancy Pelosi has been covering for them and not forcing accountability of our federal government. That time changes now. We're finally going to have the opportunity here to hold this government accountable, to hold the Biden administration accountable, to ask the questions that you're asking and others, such as the botched evacuation of Afghanistan, the origin of COVID, et cetera. And we need to get those answers to the American people. Uh, Talk to me about what you think is doable from a a Republican-controlled House with, obviously, Democrats in control of the other chamber and Biden in the White House. I mean— even, is it is it really a, a vision, establishing a vision and a brand for the Republican Party going into 2024 on the salient issues of the day, combined with the possibility of unearthing some more truth when it comes to FBI conduct, when it comes to CDC conduct? Because, I mean, in reality, you're not going to be able to substantially change the direction of the country you're more setting the table for the possibility of being able to do so depending on what happens in 24. Is that fair? There, there, there's that, but there are some changes that I do think will be able to be made this year. If you remember, under two years of Democratic one-party control, we continued to see trillions of dollars of new government spending, bill after bill, enlarging the size, scale, and scope of the federal government. Those types of massive new government spending programs Those are dead on arrival in a Republican House of Representatives. I also think on energy policy, if we push really hard and we sell this to the American people, we can end some aspects of the war on energy for the Biden administration. you got to remember, President Biden went and begged for oil in Saudi Arabia. He allowed leases in Venezuela. He realizes there is a problem. We just now need to get President Biden to actually act in the United States of America, in North Dakota, in West Texas. And if we do that, we can have a dramatic and impactful effort here to reduce inflation that's clobbering American families. So, so I won't have to turn in my gas-powered stove. Is that what you're well, saying? Well, I'm not offering to you. I'm not offering to you that this is going to be perfect. Biden is not going to give up on pushing forward a Green New Deal, but we are going to have an opportunity to call to task individuals in the administration to slow down their ability to drive forward that agenda. And if we get the American people understanding how draconian the energy policies have been for the Biden administration, maybe we can get the Biden administration to actually unleash American energy rather than going to Saudi Arabia and to Venezuela. Congressman Style, do you agree with those 20 McCarthy holdouts um, that they served a purpose? At the end of the day, what we got are rules that allow us to move forward a conservative agenda. This was, is, imagine having 222 of your family members over for Thanksgiving, and the first order of business is to determine who's going to carve the turkey. That's really what we had, was a large family conversation. Republicans just do it in public. Nancy Pelosi and Democrats had the same conversations about how they were going to spend us to oblivion. They did it behind closed doors. We had the conversation on how we're going to try to cut spending, save the country. We did it on the House floor. I think at the end of the day, the rules that we're going to operate under set us up for success, culturally align us to say we're going to make 
difficult decisions to actually try to get out and save this country. And nothing is more important than stopping the wildly reckless spending that we've seen over the past two years. Speaking of uh, spending, unchecked spending, I won't call it reckless, but I will call it unchecked at this point. Um, What about with respect to uh, aid to Ukraine? Is there going to be a demand for a little bit better accounting uh, as it pertains to where the money that uh, American taxpayers are providing is actually being spent, what what impacts it, it's uh, had, is any being, uh, you know, kleptocratic out of the system? Uh, those sorts of questions that when people ask them, including some Republicans, they're sort of ridiculed as as uh, Putin flax or something like that, when, of course, that's not the case. And there's no, in my perspective, there is no opposition to supporting Ukrainian people pushing back Putin. I'm not interested in advancing the interests of some KGB communist any more than any other Republican is. Um, but people, including Republicans, smear people who ask any questions <clears throat> about this unchecked aid. And I wonder if there's going to be a little bit more measure from House Republicans on that. Well, I think you're going to see an accountability of how every tax dollar is spent. We should review and analyze how all of your money is being spent here in Washington. And what we've seen before is all of these spending bills were drafted by Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Joe Biden. For the first time in two years, that process ends. And now we have Republicans with a seat at the table in accountability of how your tax dollars are spent, not only as it relates to foreign policies such as Ukraine, but across the board, energy policy, et cetera, we need to be accountable in a, in, to the American people. And that starts now that Republicans took away the gavel from Speaker Pelosi. He is Congressman Brian Stile, Republican from the 1st District in Wisconsin, right there over the Cheddar Curtain in Kenosha area. Brian, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcasts of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Dan and Amy, uh, one of the standing rules on this show. Yeah. We will play a clip of any celebrity if it includes an invocation of their penis. <laughs> and that, of course, goes for men or women. Okay. Oh, yeah, because, you know, don't forget our mayor. So uh, that welfare queen that you like, Harry, he used to be royalty over in there in the UK. Uh, yes. Uh, this is uh, Prince Harry, Diana's kid, reading from his new book that he's been uh, hawking Spare. on television shows around the country and so forth. Take a listen. My penis was oscillating oh. between extremely sensitive and borderline traumatized. The last place I wanted to be was Frost Nippistan. I've been trying some home remedies, including one recommended by a friend. She'd urged me to apply Elizabeth Arden cream. My mum used that on her lips. You want me to put that on my todger? It works, Harry. Trust me. I found a tube, and the minute I opened it, the smell transported me through time. I felt as if my mother was right there in the room. Then I took a smidge and applied it down there. Um, yeah, calling Sigmund Freud. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Maybe Carl Jung, too. Maybe, maybe the team. Um, oh, yeah. boy. The, the best part about that. I what? Did, I, there is I no never... good part about that. that no, like, like, stop talking. A euphemism for your penis is todger. It's so t- very British. I don't know. I don't know what is I... Is it well, British? To todger? Yeah. Put, yeah. Do you put so, your todger with the T? So uh, oh, you heard it there from um, 
you know, former Prince Harry that uh, if for some reason your penis is oscillating, you'd use a little bit of that Elizabeth Arden cream. I know what I'm getting you like. for Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Birthday's just around the corner. Oh, that's right. In April, um, I'm going to order you some right now. It'll go along with the Gwyneth Paltrow vagina candle that I bought you that I took back for myself. Thank you. Yeah, you can understand why uh, Harry and his uh, wife are so fetid in Hollywood. Oh. Talking about their oscillating Todgers. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, I got a friend uh, who is in the defibrillator business. He's actually... Um, one of the leading providers for AEDs for the marine industry, uh, Bert Catoni. He's got uh, this company called Cardiac Rescue. And uh, just perusing some of the data here, a sudden cardiac arrest, SCI, SCA, excuse me, sudden cardiac arrest, the most preventable cause of death in the country. Really? Uh, and that's, this number surprised me. Sudden cardiac arrest kills more than 400,000 people in the United States each year. It can strike anyone, anywhere, anytime, in most cases without warning. Without treatment, victims only have minutes to live. With quick response, the condition is readily treatable with survival rates as high as 90%. But when the equipment is not nearby you and you have to rely on emergency services and you've only got minutes, rates are 2 to 5%, survival rates 2 to 5%. So it could be as high as 90% if the equipment's on site and obviously somebody knows how to use it. But if that equipment isn't there, survival rates 2 to 5%. So talking about the, the literally hundreds of thousands of preventable deaths with this technology. Um, and, and that's so, why DeMar Hamlin was saved. I mean, he was in, if he was going to have a cardiac arrest, that was the place to be. You had a, emergency well, sure. responders right there on the ready and with an AED to revive him not once but twice. So we wanted to talk a little bit more about that. I mean, with the, the money we spend on K through 12 education at the collegiate level, uh, you know, there's arguably no reason why this equipment shouldn't be ubiquitous. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Bob Snyder. He is uh, uh, with the Jennifer Lynn Snyder Teen Heart Foundation. Jennifer Lynn Snyder Teen Heart Foundation. Bob Snyder, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, very good, guys. Good to be with you. Um, so um, tell us uh, what your interest, uh, what your foundation does, I should say, and uh, how you came to be uh, focused on this issue. Yeah, so the foundation uh, is focused uh, very simply on putting the AEDs that you talk about being ubiquitous to make sure they're on fields uh, where kids are playing. I think as a society, uh, been great improvement, and in some cases it's the law to have them in gymnasiums and other, other indoor uh, facilities where kids play, but it's, it's outdoors where it's lacking. So that's the focus of the foundation. It has been the focus of the foundation for the better part of 15 years now uh, since we lost uh, our daughter, uh, Jenny, while she was playing soccer on a, a field in Glenview. And while you never know, and your statistics back that up, you never know exactly what could have happened or would have happened. Certainly her, her chance for survival, had there been an AED there, would have been you know, much greater. 
And since that time, how much money have you raised and how many AEDs have you put on soccer fields, football fields, lacrosse fields? Yeah, there are close to um, 30 of them now uh, around the Chicago area. And uh, that's where, you know, most of our, our focus has been. Um, all of the, the money that gets raised turns into grants. And so folks can just go to our website if they're aware of a field, uh, maybe where their child plays at and says, well, there, there really should be an AED here. There are hundreds of kids who play here uh, each week. And, and so uh, there's an application process. It's, it's of course, free. And um, we use the money that we raise to grant AEDs for those for those fields that need one. And, you know, we've seen uh, some incidents like uh, what happened with Damar Hamlin, uh, what happened with Hank Gathers, that uh, sort of focus people's attention on um, on this issue, because to see somebody collapse like that is obviously jarring. Um, I, I wonder uh, if you think that. Um, you know, the good that will come out of uh, the nation being fixated on what happened to Mar Hamlin is there will be a sort of renewed conversation for it. And that we've got a window here, uh, renewed conversation about this and things that can be done to make sure that uh, you can provide as much safety for young people as possible when they're, you know, engaged in athletic activities. Yeah, Dan, the, the, the answer is a definitive yes. So um, it it's really great that um there was what's called in the industry a save involved and we're, we're not talking about a death and a what if this is where as amy said everything everything went right um i will add dan you said uh, you had thrown in that you know to to have access to one and then you know and then knowing how to use it the the great thing about these devices now is uh really a second or third grader can open the cabinet uh, open the device and it walks you through what to do. So, mm, okay. um, uh, fortunately, you know, no longer um, are manufacturers uh, uh, like your friend. Um, I'm, I'm sure he can attest to this. We're, we're all trying to get away from that language across the the cabinets that says, you know, for emergency only, official this and official that. That that doesn't help anyone. The, the truth is, they're there. Uh, to be used in, in many cases like a fire extinguisher, open the cabinet and, and use it. And in this case, uh, if you've got something talking to you and, and walking you through every step, it's it's not only helpful, but it's very common. Well, that's good yeah. to know that you don't need to know CPR. You don't need to have any particular training that it's that accessible. That That is good to know. And it's in foreign language. Yeah, so you can press a button for Spanish if you're Spanish-speaking. I mean, it's so easy. I, I went to Jenny's mission. I went to your fundraiser in the spring, and you have an AED there and, and, a, and a dummy that you could try it out, and, and it's, it's the best idea ever. I think every coach in Chicago, every parent should, should go through that process, and you can also get it online on YouTube, too. You can watch how to learn how to do it. Yeah, yeah, and that's right, Amy. You know, look, there's a cost with everything, right? And so, um, Dan, as you talked about, there's, there's a window open um, to try to uh, make a move, you know, have the, have the AED industry make a move, and it just depends on on how you know how this resonates with the right kind of people. At some point, you know, could there be something like federal legislation um, for athletic fields, as there you know is now for airports and other national facilities? Sure, uh, it will it will take a lot because of that cost that's involved. But hopefully, there are 
you know, organizations like ours and, and other folks in state and federal legislatures who see this as kind of a no brainer and, and said, well, now we've got, we got a glimpse of it on national TV and you know, how it works. Um, we've got to, we've got to get things out there. What what are we talking about in terms of cost? I mean, you know, there's only, uh, you know, so many sports fields that most of these, uh, schools have couple three at the most. And so, what are we talking about on a per unit or a or a scaled uh, number? Yeah, well, when you do it on scale, it's obviously a lot more effective for everybody. But you know, let's let's just say roughly a couple of thousand dollars, and that includes the um, in you know, of course, in Chicago, many of these units because they're outdoors, they need to stay heated, so there needs to be an electrical component. So typically, they're they're attached to maybe like the outside of the clubhouse. Or the out sometimes on a, on a little league field, there's a yeah. little press box or yeah. uh, where bathrooms are, that type of thing. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it, depending on the heated cabinet, it, it can get a little bit more expensive. But I think you're implying that you know it's really nothing's too expensive for what we're talking about. And so, um, you know, hopefully over the next few years, without more grave incidents, and they don't always end up well and gathers didn't end up well reggie right. lewis didn't end up well right. um and so hopefully uh, uh you know uh, some of this will take place hey one other thing that i i think is kind of neat that's happening in the industry is um the the technology of course is affecting you know every every industry and every business there's technology now where uh if if you're somewhere anywhere and you need an aed you can get into an app and find where the closest AED is. There's also AEDs on drones where you can program in and a drone can deliver an AED. Now, this is, uh, I'm talking about stuff, you know, that, that, that's kind of coming, but, but it's, th- these are the advances that are happening. And, you know, when the end result is saving a life, it, it all kind of makes sense. Now, uh, Dan knows this. I love to tell people how to spend their money. And Damar Hamlin's fundraiser, <laughs> Uh, is up to $8.6 million. Have you reached out to yeah. him or his people to see if they would donate those funds to put more e- AEDs on athletic fields? And, and well, I, I, I'm not one to challenge uh, other charities. I don't, I, I'm sure I, he's got a kids, uh, some kind of kids gifting charity. But I, I will say this, you know, look, I'm, 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 I'm extraordinarily happy for, for DeMar. I mean, that that's great. I do think... You know, and maybe this is a little jaded coming from where I'm coming from as a as, as a parent who somebody lost a, a child. But you know, as I watch all of this unfold, what I really recognize is while it's great that Demar had the resilience to stay alive, the real courage and the real heroism are the people who saved his lives, used the AED, yeah. uh, performed the CPR, knew the CPR, and so um, that at least. There's a, I know there's a sector of all of us that, that see a situation like this and say, okay, wonderful for the survivor, but, but, but even better for those who, who saved the person. Yeah, the lowest paid people on the field that night were the first uh, Yes, yes, Amy, I'm sure, I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. He is Bob Snyder, uh, dad of Jennifer Lynn Snyder, after whom the foundation is named. Jennifer Lynn Snyder, Teen Heart Foundation. Bob Steiner, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome, guys. Yep, thank you so much. And again, teenheartfoundation.org is where you can go to apply to get an AED on one of your fields or to make a donation. And 
Bob Snyder joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's morning answer. Morning answer on AM 560. The answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So the contretemps du jour in the mayor's race yesterday was this revelation that Mayor Triple Threat's campaign had sent an email to CPS teachers asking them to effectively recruit worker, the kids to work for her campaign by offering the students at their respective classes and schools credit for having worked or for doing work on the campaign. And this drew a firestorm of criticism, first from the Chicago media and then, of course, her competitors piling on. But um, even though the email was ham-handed, it was, and it's a an example of uh, campaign staff incompetence. I don't know that it rises to the level of the moralizing that we heard starting at uh, Winneka talking to Wilmette up there. Uh, well, they got the and email moving, yes. and moving into the other candidates. I mean, the sort of the the anytime a Chicago politician is waving around the city's ethics ordinance, you know something is amiss. And well, this uh, deputy campaign manager, Megan Crane is her name. She sent out this email looking for um, curious, enthusiastic, hardworking young people eager to help mayor win this spring. And basically it's 12 hours a week of work. And then they asked the teachers if the kids could get class credit if they help out. Yeah. So, again, they did something that would be. Unremarkable if it had been done right, you know, go and ask to see if the schools want to set up externship programs for class credit for anybody who wants to volunteer for any campaign, any candidate in any campaign. It's a way for kids to get experience in electoral politics. Fine. No big deal. She did it and her staff did it in an incompetent way. But that's the sort of incompetence that's generally punctuated her administration because she is a one-person mayor and a one-person candidate, I'm sure that's the thing that perhaps a lot of people don't realize. Um, I understand from people that used to be relatively close to her that she just doesn't take counsel and she doesn't take criticism in the form of counsel. People who are critical, even constructively, are not long for her inner circle. Well, and that's what that these things happen when you surround yourself with sycophants rather than talented individuals. And their spokesperson responded to WTTW not once, not twice, but three times the first time saying, oh, we're just trying to provide young people the opportunity to engage in our campaign. And then the second statement, they said that they'd cease contact with CPS employees out of an abundance of caution. And then two hours later, a third version saying that their um, CPS employees are off limits. Right. So we're going to see the Chicago media turn this into a three day story. But the systemic sexual abuse of children and the possibility of massive financial fraud in CPS, that's barely a half day story. That's no story at all. 
Yeah. Okay. I got. I got. I got the uh, import. I got what's important and what's not. For uh, more on this and our continuing effort to bring you candidates for mayor of the city of Chicago, we're pleased to be joined by Sixth Ward Alderman Roderick Sawyer, whose dad, of course, uh, Gene, was a mayor of Chicago as well, the second black mayor of Chicago after Harold Washington. Uh, Roderick Sawyer, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you, and good morning to everyone. Uh, so, um, what do you want to weigh in on this Lori Lightfoot uh, uh, email apocalypse, or what's your what's your perspective? <laughs> I, I, I was listening to you, and, and I obviously agree with what you were saying. The problem that I had uh, is this: I don't have access to all the CPS employees. I don't have access to their emails. I don't even know how to get them. I don't even know how a campaign got the government emails of all these teachers and yet you're calling them uh asking them to do electioneering work mm-hmm. you know that's a that's you know i don't know about the legality but it's certainly a bonehead move it's not it a bright a, move it's, no, not, it's not it's not a no, it's it's not. something that you would do and i've been involved in politics all pretty much all my life and i've never gotten a call saying hey you know, in exchange for doing election work, I'll get some some extra credit for your, uh, you know, for your schoolwork or whatever. That's that's not a, a bright thing to do. And I'm sorry, it's just not. It's not. Um, so let's talk about the other thing I mentioned, that sorry. OIG report on CPS and what uh, your interest level is in rethinking how CPS operates. You know, it was totally unfortunate uh, that we no one spent uh, enough time, you know, dealing with these things. We're talking about, you know, sexual assault, you know, and and other, you know, horrible things that that are happening to our children. And like you said, it was short shifted. It didn't get the attention it deserved, and and we did not talk about it the way we should have. Uh, this is some these are some serious allegations, and we should be diving into this because this these are our children, and we should be doing everything possible to give them a, a top flight education and a top flight educational experience, not, uh, you know, not the dark side and, and the horrible things that were in that report and the things that were uh, alleged. Uh, it was, it was troubling. And, and again, I just don't think we, we did enough to, uh, you know, take care of our children. Yeah, but if you're mayor, what would you do differently? How would you stop this? Well, one, you have to highlight it. I mean, these, these things like this, if, if they're going on, under hoses, uh, we have to, you know, put them into the light and, and, you know, not keep them in the dark and keep them um, in the back burner, if you will. Uh, I, I cannot do anything to stop it, you know, from happening, but I can keep it from happening again. That's what we have to be worried about. You know, what can we do to, to best serve our children? We have to keep an eye out on things like this. And if, if we see something like this, it has to be exposed immediately and we have to, you know, attack it right away. That would be the difference between, you know, what's going on now and what I would do. So the uh, Sixth Ward, I mean, that includes some pretty tough neighborhoods, Inglewood, Auburn, Gresham, um, Grand Crossing. So what uh, what's the conversations? What kind of conversations do you have with teachers and school administrators at the schools in your ward about this? And, uh, I and have just regular, generally, well, just generally, I have regular principal meetings that I talk about things that are going on in the respective schools. And most of, almost all the schools I have are grammar schools, elementary schools. But principals tell me in the times that we meet on a regular basis what goes on in elementary schools. You think that this was – I was talking about a college. I mean, we are talking about sexual assault. We're talking about uh, drug of 
offenses with children, with 10, 12, 10, 11, 12-year-olds. You know, it it just, I leave those meetings crying half the time after we have these meetings because they're telling me things that I just did not believe that would happen in elementary schools primarily. Well, so uh, organized gang violence. I mean, it's just yeah. you know, and and we're trying to worry about them keeping up uh, learning at a level where we try to get them. We have to get them in the schools and try to get them the social and emotional uh, attention that they need before we can teach them reading, writing, and arithmetic. Well, what about getting them in other schools? Um, what about uh, expansion of the opportunity tax credit scholarship program? I mean, you know, you're somebody who benefited from a good education. You went to Ignatius. Um, why yes, shouldn't Why shouldn't kids in on on the South Side and the neighborhoods that you represent mm-hmm. be uh, allowed? You know, have the resources where they can access mm-hmm. better schools. I believe that everyone should have. You know, and and it's it's worth a conversation. But let's be clear. When I went to Ignatius, I cleaned uh, I cleaned blackboards. Okay. We didn't have the money to go to Ignatius. I, you know, I had to do. You know, I did work study. Okay. All right. And, well, and well, very well, proud well, of it. Even, even better. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm happy yeah. to have the kids work, too. But, but in addition to right, working, yeah. now we're, we're trying to provide, and, and we've got a state law that provides for, for kids to, the families to have the resources to make those kind of choices. Isn't that good? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's always part of a conversation that I like to be, you know, involved in. The problem that I think we have in Chicago, basically, is that we never talk have open discussions about things that uh, that are going on. We're always one-sided, and and I've been here. I'm here uh, 12 years on the council. I see it, and everything. Even when ordinances are introduced, they always introduce one side. We never talk about the opposite side. We never have real vigorous discussions like we should on the council floor. Uh, so we don't get a chance to talk about things uh, from both perspectives. And and again, that's something that needs to change. Um, so, uh, again, the, with the neighborhoods you represent, you, you, they're disproportionately impacted by violent crime, which is uh, running wild, despite what uh, mm-hmm. Mayor Lightfoot has to say about it. And um, and you, well, uh, I, I think that crime is running wild all over the city. I think well, it's I not agree. Just, I live well, in Grand I Crossing. I live in Grand Crossing, born and raised. But uh, when I talked to people, when I was in South Lakeview the other day, they're talking about the same thing. Oh, I, I agree. When I was on yeah. the far northwest side. They're talking about the same thing. Everybody yeah, so, has that anxiety about crime. I agreed. And so, so why did yeah. you introduce an ordinance to cut the contract CPS had with the Chicago police? Again, you know, you're talking about the uh, CPS uh, uh, with public schools? Yeah. Yeah. Officers in schools. Absolutely. You know what? And that's exactly what I was talking about. It wasn't that I was in support or against it. I wanted to have the conversation. I talk about the pros and the cons of, of cops in schools. We had a lot of people that were that had that anxiety because they had bad cops in schools. You know, we had also had people talk about how great their school resource officers are because they're very engaging and they're very helpful. So it, it, part of me bringing that to the forefront was not to take a side, but was to extend the conversation, to open it up. And as a result of that conversation, we got choice. So some people chose to opt it in to have their prince, uh, school uh, officers in the school, which is fine. Some opted not to have their school officers in the school, which is fine. We also, in, and as a result, we saved money, and it worked out where people can have that option, and they continued that conversation. And that's what I wanted. Right, but now the but kids at Juarez are still afraid to go back, and their officers were voted out, and now Michelle Clark as well. And you had 
fatal shootings at both of those yeah. schools. And you know what? And, and, it, what and you know what? Part of, democracy, part of democracy is going to be messy. You know, democracy is the worst form of government in the world, except for all others. So, it, you know, when things happen like that, it's going to be a little messy in its, in, in its inception. People are going to make a decision, and they may, may change their mind. They make another decision. But, again, I wanted that decision to be on the local level, not just a top-down function, but a part of a conversation, and I think that was achieved. And, again, it's not going to be perfect, but it, it opened it up for people to make that choice. So um, different, you know, it's a big field again, uh, which mm-hmm. is a commentary sure. on the popularity of the incumbent, to be sure. Uh, what, wh- how do you differentiate yourself from, uh, from? Uh, I mean, let's you start with the, the what, what are, who are perceived to be the top four candidates right now, Vallis, mm-hmm. Lightfoot, uh, Chewy, and Willie. Again, I, 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 I differentiate myself as, as a true Chicagoan. Uh, someone that understands that most Chicagoans want the same things. We all want we all want safe schools. We all want safe streets. We want vibrant business districts. We want to be able to come and go without incident. We want to be able to walk our neighborhoods. That's what all Chicagoans want from all 77 uh, neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. I live that. I, I'm a part of that. I grew up understanding that. So I, I'm not far left. I'm not far right. I'm what you would call, you know, more of a centrist. Uh, Someone, um, uh, it's just something that I, I believe that most Chicagoans are right there, and I think I represent the interests of the majority of Chicagoans. I think that's what differentiates me from everyone else. What, what's a good example uh, where you have sort of bucked what the conventional Democrat Party line is in the city? That's a good question. Uh, give me, I'm just, yeah, that's, uh, I'm trying to get. Uh, content for that question well i mean you know you said well, you're, um, you said you're yeah. centrist and so you know so you're an independent thinker mm-hmm. not so much party focused and so give me an example where you were at odds with the majority of your party on a particular issue um on locally um i would say for example with the uh red light camera situation uh the speed camera thing where my colleagues were voting to you know make those changes i was against it um, you were against red light cameras were, being installed. Well, I was against the, the reduction of the um, of the speed, speed camera limit over. from ten to mm-hmm. six, the six to ten. Yeah, but, whatever. But that you was support red light proposed. cameras. You support the red light cameras. You know, I support red. I mean, red light cameras in high incident, districts that have high incidents of accidents and fatalities. Mm. I think that we should have them, and I think that you know they're 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 money grabbing everywhere else and anything else. We should be looking at. Solely at the areas that have those high incidents of of crash fatalities, and, and be looking towards those areas for um, assistance. I, I think, if you will, okay. I believe, for example, that that you know, police officers should be doing traffic stops. That's that's where I am. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I really time. believe police officers should. Do, yeah, and it has not happened in a long time. And I think that you know, it also, you know, we've experienced some failures in policing for a long time as well because we abandoned that. Well, what's your plan for public safety? Public safety is, is obviously very important because of the anxiety people have. I believe that, you know, we're, we, we are understaffed. Yeah, I believe that we are understaffed. I believe that we don't have the resources necessary to provide service to Chicagoans because that's what we're talking about. We are a service-based uh, business in Chicago. So when people call 911, they expect someone to respond to them. They expect an officer to come out there or someone to come out there 
to uh, get their information to make sure that the offenders are, are captured and bound for trial. So these are things that, and I, and I think police officers should be laser focused. I think we've done them collectively a disservice in asking the police to do everything in the world uh, except, you know, we, their assigned job, which is to catch bad guys, to bound them over for trial, to make sure that our streets are safe. That should be the police officer's laser focused job keep them in areas where they can become familiar. You know, I believe in the, the geographic integrity uh, of what we should be doing. Police officers should stay in, in areas, not even the beat, but in the general area, uh, sector area, where they can start gaining some familiarity with people. They can gain that trust. Uh, I'm proud to say that I've been working on police reform for a long time. I was the lead sponsor, for example, in the um, uh, ECPS, Empowering Communities for Public Safety Act, which provided our new... Uh, individuals that will be running for office in this uh, coming February 28th. Uh, I worked on that for seven years in the administration, under two administrations. So I'm, I'm very proud of my work as it relates to police, but we have to do a lot more. Do, do you support uh, the Safety Act as uh, amended and now as a subject of a Supreme Court review? You know, I've, I've been, you know, watching it with great interest. Um, you know, I, I, I believe the core function of the Safety Act is uh, what I believe in. I think the the details need to, you know, have, you know, always be further worked out. I think that you can always make something better, but you can't worry about it always being perfect. You can't make the perfect the enemy of the good. So what I believe is, that. What is the core function? The, the, the core function Act? is that you should not, someone should not be penalized uh, for ho- being held in jail pending trial just solely because they don't have any money. Mm-hmm. I believe that. I, that part I do agree with. And uh, I think that working in that vein, we should be staying toward that. But I do believe that people that are, are violent, people that uh, are habitual offenders, people have, that have not showed up for trial, which is the core function of the bail, is to, to make sure that people attend their court hearings and their trial dates. Uh, we want to make sure that's the core function of why the Safety Act is there. But violent offenders should stay in prison. Those that are uh, dangerous to others or dangerous to society in general should be in prison pending trial. And I think judges are, are the arbiters that should be making that decision. He is Roderick Sawyer, Alderman Roderick Sawyer, 6th Ward. Uh, more information on his candidacy for mayor can be found at Sawyer for the number 4, SawyerForChicago.com, SawyerForChicago.com. Alderman Roderick Sawyer, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one, Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Senator Rubio, Marco Rubio from Florida, you know, uh, he uh, fired off a letter to J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon uh, getting after him about J.P. Morgan's reported partnership with ByteDance, the parent company of TikTok, which is, of course, uh, essentially... A Chinese communist company, because there are no companies that exist, particularly at that scale, that uh, do not fall under the purview of the Chinese Communist ruling party. He uh, uh, criticized their partnership with ByteDance to develop a, 
payment infrastructure, you know, application payment infrastructure. He wrote, assisting online companies to build out real-time payment systems, centralized banking structures, and streamline access to millions of users' financial information is no doubt lucrative. However, by partnering with ByteDance to develop a treasure trove of private data, including that of millions of Americans, JPMorgan Chase has effectively handed the combination to the vault to the CCP as well. Yikes. Strong words. And... Um, he uh, continued, it's concerning enough for J.P. Morgan Chase to carry water for Beijing and falsely characterize ByteDance's mission as to inspire creativity and enrich life, quote-unquote, rather than disseminate CCP propaganda and censor references to the Uyghur genocide. Even more alarming, however, is that J.P. Morgan Chase is now actively working with ByteDance to enlarge its capacity for real-time data exchange, track and trace, and to see... Uh, to see and monitor payments in light of its gross abuses of user information. We talk a lot about uh, what the government, uh, what our government should or shouldn't do with respect to Chinese communist forays in every sector, including business sector. But what about uh, what American companies are willing to do or not do when it comes to the Chinese communists? For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Thomas Dusterberg, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and author of Economic Cracks in the Great Wall of China. Thomas Dusterberg, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. And it's a pleasure to be with you. So what about uh, Marco Rubio's pointed criticism at uh, Jamie Dimon and effectively Wall Street? Well, he's exactly right. Any partnership that would allow um, access to financial information of Americans uh, like this one apparently does, um, is is a uh, looming disaster, I think, for us, because the Chinese, as uh, Senator Rubio pointed out, uh, Chinese companies are always under the uh, thumb of the Chinese Communist Party. If they want to extract data on those who are using the system, they can do that, and they've already done that, we've seen, with uh, TikTok uh, information personal information on Americans who are using TikTok. So uh, this is not a good move on, on the part of uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. Well, um, I mean, it, it, it isn't why. I mean, it, it is uh, potentially quite lucrative, I'm sure. And so from their, for their perspective of, you know, specifically profit maximization, why not do it? Well, um, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase is an American company. Um, they uh, fall under U.S. laws. Uh, U.S. laws protect private information uh, much more uh, expansively than the Chinese do. So they uh, run the risk of uh, violating U.S. privacy laws. Furthermore, it's helping uh, our major uh, competitor, China, to amass uh, data that can be used in any variety of ways, not only to um, learn about um, the spending habits and all other habits of Americans, um, but uh, feed into their machines of big data, which uh, help them uh, develop their uh, artificial intelligence algorithms. Well, I, I, yeah, here's, a, here's another riff from another op-ed, and I'll tell you the author in a second. You probably know, many of our listeners won't. Uh, this uh, commentator writes, 
We need serious federal protections for Americans' privacy. That means clear limits on how companies can collect, use, and share highly personal data, your Internet history, your personal communications, your location, your health, genetic, and biometric data. It's not enough for companies to disclose what data they're collecting. Much of that data shouldn't be collected in the first place, and the protection should be even stronger for young people. Uh, This uh, commentator is talking about American big tech companies, and he happens to be the president of the United States, Joe Biden. That's an op-ed that he uh, wrote for the Wall Street Journal. So, I mean, I'm not comparing the perniciousness of the Chinese Communist Party to and 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 their uh, their wholly owned subsidiaries like ByteDance to American big tech companies or the federal government here. But it seems like we have our own problem figuring out what the paradigm should be on these issues like privacy. Yeah, we need to get on that. We we, we certainly ought to do a better job. It's it's true that American um, uh, digital companies are amassing this this sort of data, um, using it for their for their own purposes. Um, if you'll allow me, I want to go back to this question of, of artificial intelligence because a lot of these companies, especially um, Google and Microsoft, are have huge research operations in China on things like artificial intelligence um, and. A lot of the breakthroughs that um, these companies are achieving in in these areas are done in China, uh, and so they're shared with the Chinese. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's a very good idea either. Mm-hmm. So it's it's broader than just collecting personal information. It's developing the te- technological tools of the future uh, that could be used against us. That's a good point. And so the conversation now, part of the conversation now about. Uh, you know, banning ByteDance, uh, you, uh, about banning TikTok, I should say, uh, ByteDance being its parent company. You know, you've seen some state governments do it on uh, state employees' phones and so on and so forth, um, federal government. But um, is that the wrong conversation then? Whether whether or not to ban TikTok misses the larger point. Well, it, it's part of the larger point. Um, and... Um, you know, there are multiple reasons to ban TikTok. It's not just they're collecting personal information. Um, there, there's a much simpler way to go about this, which is uh, um, the, the rules that govern world trade, and we can argue about that, but mm-hmm. they require the, um, a certain form of reciprocity. If our companies can't operate in China, then their companies ought not to be able to operate in the United States. So you've got that point as well, which is um, our companies can't um, operate their uh, uh, social, um, uh, digital social media platforms in China. Why should TikTok be able to operate in the United States? It's a, Jamie Dun- well, yeah, wonder- it's a, I'm sorry, go ahead. Nah, I just wonder if Jamie Dimon has thought about that as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's sort of a strange thing, and I think people, myself included, sometimes have our have uh, problems wrapping our minds around it because, you know, you wrote this piece about um, the uh, weakness of President Xi and his regime. It's not nearly as uh, strong as it appears from the outside. They want to project strength, but they're they're uh, captive to all these internal uh, uh, contradictions of central planning, just like Soviets were. Uh, however, uh, different than back in the day when it was the Cold War, it, it, we, does it seem to you, it sort of seems to me 
that we have American companies propping up this regime and actually allowing it to be stronger than it otherwise would be were all those internal contradictions left to play themselves out the way they did for the Soviets. Well, it's absolutely true. Um, you know, a couple examples in the financial sector, uh, the Chinese real estate uh, sector, which is a very, very large part of their uh, economy, up to 30 percent, now depends a lot on um, selling bonds outside of China because they, they're so indebted. So uh, companies like uh, J.P. Morgan Chase are also helping to prop up the, the economy of, uh, of China. Um, there, there are many examples of this. Uh, there was some reporting in the paper today uh, about Tesla, uh, Tesla has a huge uh, yeah. plant in Shanghai, um, but the Chinese are apparently thinking about restricting their sales uh, because uh, uh, Elon Musk also runs TikTok and Elon Musk also uh, Twitter operates SpaceX, and the Chinese mm-hmm. are claiming that uh, Tesla cars can be used as uh, spy me- mechanisms within China. So the, the point here is that American companies uh, are allowed to operate in China on Chinese terms, but when it becomes um, um, uh, useful for the Chinese to start squeezing them, they happily do that. Oh, sure. Uh, right. I mean, that's – yeah, that's how it works, right? And we don't like uh, Elon Musk's rules with Twitter, so we're going to punish him over here with Tesla. Sure. Well, and it's not just limited to um, – to Tesla, I mean the financial sector, the, the you know the J.P. Morgan Chases and the Goldmans and the Blackstones uh, were supposed to be uh, allowed to operate more or less freely in China 20, 25 years ago, and the Chinese have opened just enough to say that yeah you can do certain things, but by the time those companies were allowed to operate, the Chinese had already developed pretty good. Uh, for instance, electronic payment systems. So our companies can't operate effectively there. And it's unclear to me why uh, American companies keep thinking that there's some uh, pot, golden pot at the end of the rainbow in China. I guess they, I mean, I guess they, they just see a billion and a half people and they say that's a market we can't ignore. Is it as simple as that? Because people like Jamie Dimon, I, even though they're, some of these other people are despicable, like Fink at BlackRock, um, they're not. They're not naive. They're not babes in the woods here. They're not. No, um, I agree with you wholly on that one. So, so what is their thinking? I mean, what, you know, if they're not naive, they know they are. They've got eyes wide open here. Then is it just we can't ignore a market of a billion and a half people? I think it's pretty much as as simple as that. Um, their boards tell them that in, um, they need to be in the China game. Um, there is probably the thought that, um, in, in, for instance, in the area of financial services, the Chinese have developed some good uh, payment systems, um, and maybe they want to get access to those uh, those technologies. But it's a in, in the long run, it's something of a fool's errand because the Chinese will protect their own market, and um, they will not allow uh, foreign firms to 
prosper in the long run in, in their market. And and the free trader may say, and you know, I'm inclined to be one, but there are limits. Uh, the free trader would say, "Well, wait a second. You know, you don't. You want to start uh, banning Chinese, uh, com, you know, Chinese communist affiliated companies from buying real estate in America or doing business in China. You know, if you start to apply some sort of American standard to who American companies can be, do business with, then you're going to close off commerce to a lot of the world, not just China." Uh, my response to that would be, "Well, yeah, I, I, I understand the slippery slope argument, but." But China is unique because of its size and because of its uh, inclinations for world domination. And so I think you can make an exception to the general more pro-free trade rule when it comes to a expansionist power the size of China. Well, I think we've got to do that. and We've got to be more aggressive in pushing back on China. Uh, China is the dependent in a lot of ways on um, outside companies and especially in the financial sector we can there are things we can do to um, you know send them a stronger message than we, we've sent in the past that we're not going to do business with them if, if they're going to be uh, in it solely for their own benefit and there's got to be some sort of mutual gain from this that uh, they've got to give up this scheme of uh, this dream, uh, she calls it the China dream of world domination. So we've just got to be more aggressive um, in the messages we're sending to them. He is Thomas Dusterberg, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, author of Economic Cracks in the Great Wall of China. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook. Or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. All right. We're matchmakers here at AM560. The Answer. One of our listeners, David, called in and said, Danny is the perfect woman for you. (laughs) She's photogenic. Uh She's even prettier in person, though. Uh 5'7", 120 pounds. Wickedly intelligent. I'm also 5'7", 120. Wickedly intelligent, just like you. Funny, Uh but a lefty. Ha, 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 I kid. She puts the red in red. I'm not going to tell you her name here, but she lives in Leafy Lake Forest, and I think it's a match made in heaven. All right. um, I'll send you um, an easy 120-question survey that she needs (laughs) to complete, um, and then just let her know to expect um, her Uh score uh, in about two to three weeks. Okay. It's about the normal turnaround time. All right. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. On AM 560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773 467 5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.